Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Mark Thompson. Get woke. God bless you. Get woke. Folks, MIP is now COVID free, meaning free to all subscribers as we navigate this pandemic. We're thinking about everyone and we've got to get through this together. So for a limited time, no fee to subscribe to make it plain on your favorite podcast app. Ladies and gentlemen, of course, many of us, many of you, all of us are very concerned about uh, the case of uh, Ahmad Arbery uh, and many others for that matter. One organization, uh, I regret, and I probably have been somewhat delinquent. We've not checked in with one another in a while. I'll take responsibility for that. But it too is one of my favorite organizations doing very important work. It is the Coalition to Stop Gun Violence. We are very uh, blessed today to be joined by its executive director, our good friend, Josh Horowitz and the director of African-American Outreach, Kayla Hicks. Welcome, both of you. First of all, let me ask, uh, Josh, I trust, I pray that you and your loved ones are safe and well. We are, we are. Thank you for asking and I appreciate that. I hope the same, same to you as well. So far, so good. Kayla, how about you? How are you? You safe and sound? Your family, all is well. loved ones? Yep, all is well, thank you. That's good. Um, you all are sheltering in place, but but clearly um, uh, the gun nuts aren't, Josh. Um, we've been seeing some of these protests, obviously. Uh, but now this case with Ahmad Arbery, it is, uh, it's very chilling, isn't it, Josh? It's chilling, 
Um, it reminds me of work, you know, we've been fighting this for generations, for, for centuries, right? And, but to see it today is still jarring. Um, it reminds me that, you know, I started my career doing civil rights work in Mississippi, and this was an issue that I worked on, you know, 35 years ago. Um, and it's, it's part of our American history, but it's a terrible part. And I think what I'm seeing and what it really still bothers me is that we are arming hate. We are making it easy for people to open carry. We are making it easy for people to have all sorts of weaponry, high capacity magazines. Um, and, you know, a lot of this is about power and hatred and we're making it too yeah. easy. Kayla, what was, uh, what was your reaction? when you first heard this story and, and saw that video? Um, so I, I didn't watch the video. Um, I have trauma fatigue um, as a black woman and I have three um, adult black sons who like to run. Um, so my first reaction was that of a daily one because we see this one in the press, but there are so many that are not spoken about that it becomes almost a norm. And I think like most moms, you know, you just check on yours. You just wanna make sure they're okay in that moment. And you wanna remind them that we're not okay. So my first reaction was again, another bit of trauma added to the reoccurring trauma and learning how to compartmentalize it so it doesn't over my entire day. So it was just very traumatic as a mom. And then being in this space, it was very, um, it made me angry. Josh, do we know anything about Ahmad's killers with respect to um, them having guns, licenses, permits, or just whatever? Do we know anything about that? You know. That hasn't been reported enough, but the, here's the bottom line. They're in Georgia, right? And so Georgia is, you know, a state where it's easy to carry weapons openly, concealed. Um, there's very, you know, they their legislature has made it easier to get concealed, you know, carry concealed weapon, carry open weapons. There's no, you can buy guns without a background check in, in, in Georgia. You can carry guns where you want. Um, and it is... You know, the, legis the legislature's almost, not almost, absolutely made it as easy as possible for anybody to get a gun. So, so you know, so the idea, I mean, I don't know if these guys are legal gun owners, but that has, it doesn't tell you much because yeah. Yeah. we're not doing a lot of, you know, we're not doing a lot of background type of information or we're not, we're not, you know, there's other states like you live in New York where they're doing real serious looks at who should have firearms. That's not what happens in Georgia. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of open season down there, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, uh, and, and this has not happened in, other, in, in, in Wisconsin, per se. But, but Kayla, what did somebody say when they finally got the court to overrule uh, uh, um, extending the lockdown? They were bragging. Patrons went in the bar and were saying, this is, you know, this is the wild, wild west. And they, it was like they were proud of it. Uh, those words don't comfort those of us who are African-American, though, do they? No, they don't. They, they don't. And, you know, I, I believe that the challenge we have is making sure that, you know, in these leadership roles and very public facing roles and uh, being the information that some people will only get, that we have to be careful how we respond in these spaces. Um, and primarily, I think my biggest focus is on how it's leading uh, 
more anger. You know, we know anger is not a primary response, right? We, we know that that hurt, that deep-rooted hurt. Um, but I, I have a lot of African-American males. I am a responsible gun owner myself. And, mm. but, you know, Josh and I talk about this, you know, it's, it's just part of, we just said it's like a part of our DNA. Um, you know, the, the immediate response in, in conversations that I had were, you know, black men and, and their response of feeling like they have the right to start protecting their, their families. And, um, you know, it's just very scary when you start thinking about what that will look like if there is a response. So, you know, I, I, I feel like it's, this is, that's only going to escalate um, more action in our communities. It's kind of like a slow rolling um, machine that's going to kind of take hold and not be able to be pulled back without some serious damage being done. Right. And, and, and Kayla too, that's another caveat in this conversation. Can we as African-Americans, particularly as black men, protect ourselves? We know about the case with Breonna Taylor and 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 her uh um her husband or boyfriend or whatever it was i think was was trying to protect i mean that's we've also seen cases josh you know where you know african americans felt they had a right to some type of castle doctrine and it's it's a double standard it's it's we're not allowed to do that you know right kayla I think that it's not that we're not allowed, right? We know that we are, right? But uh, Mark, I think it's more or less, we know that there's a different ending for us. So I'm in Virginia and I used to open carry. Uh, it was it was normal for me to do so, but I, I stopped because I used to feel so uncomfortable with the way individuals that don't look like me would look at me. And you know, I, I remember the moment, which was almost two years ago when I stopped open carrying, I was in my vehicle and I had my, my weapon on me and I was getting in and you know, there was a gentleman next to me that was watching me and I could not understand why. And, you know, he just walked around my car and he stood there and he stared at me and I got out of my car because I was going to take off my jacket. I had, a, had on a business jacket, but my gun was, you know, it was over, not over my gun. So I got to take the jacket off and he looked at me like as if I was a threat to him. And I thought for in that second, you know, you don't have to be a black man to die for lawfully carrying a gun. So I just decided that it wasn't worth it. And I knew every morning that I did get up. I think one thing that as a gun owner, we, we have to always admit is that when I did, when I, every morning when I get up and if I carried my firearm, I always have to say, uh, I'm okay with killing someone today. And that's a hard reality when you are a gun owner. That's a hard reality. You carry a firearm for the ref, the, the, just for um, defense mechanisms, but what does that defense look like? That means you're discharging a deadly weapon. So I really stopped caring because I wasn't comfortable with that answer too much anymore. But more importantly, because I did not want to be a statistic, I didn't want to be a hashtag say her name. Um, so, and, and it's not okay for black people to carry. I don't care what the law says. Think about constitution. The constitution was never meant to, to you know, represent us. It's almost you know, going back to Dred Scott, 1955. I think people don't realize that, you know, we're not so far away from those same behaviors. There's the, you know, there's no excuse for the behavior that we have to deal with every day. Um, but, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll talk more about it, you know, eventually, but black gun owners are aware of their rights and they're exercising them. And each time something happens, 
I get a, a new set of, of phone calls, a new set of emails of people saying, I want to learn how to shoot. I, I want to get a gun. Can you help me? And it's very scary. So Josh, talk to us about what measures, what legislation, what have you that we should be advocating for to prevent another Ahmad Arbery, Arbery like a Trayvon Martin. What can, what should we be trying to do to prevent that from happening again? Well, so you know, I, I come mostly from a lens of gun policy, right? But there's obviously much more than gun policy that goes here, right? I mean, so there is, you know, there's, there's a power dynamic and racism that are behind all of this, and. You know, I think we need to recognize that. And there is there is much work to do beyond firearms on this. And that is, you know, confronting power dynamics, confronting racism and calling calling it what it is. Um, but on the firearm part of this, we are arming hate. We are making it so easy for people who, um, you know, who are hell bent on hating people to have firearms. And I'll, I'll give you two examples of that, how that plays out. Um, we shouldn't be carrying shotguns just willy-nilly down the street. We shouldn't be able to open carry willy-nilly down the street. Now, if it's if it's available, everybody should be able to take advantage of it. But my feeling is that we need to that we should really be striving for a more peaceable society, and we should be and 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 what guns do is they make hate lethal, and so you know we need to we need to say it's not a we need to start getting to a point where we don't have to carry guns. People don't feel like they have to carry guns, and Part of that is the normalization of all of this, right? Um, and carrying, you know, walking around the neighborhood with a shotgun in the middle of the day, to me, is just asking for trouble, right? You, there's no need to do any of that. So I two couple of things. I think the stand your ground law is a problem, and I think it can never be administered fairly, right? And I think that we need to repeal that in general because just think of what stand your ground changed. It changed hundreds of years of doctrine that said, if you can walk away, you should. If you don't have to spill blood, you should. Stand your ground says, it's okay to spill blood. Like, it, it, it can never be applied fairly. And it gives a horrible message that it's okay to spill blood, even if you don't have to. And it, I just can't, I think that's a terrible message overall. But mixing that with armed hate is a terrible thing. But let me draw a connection also to what's going on in, in, in the Capitol, in Lansing, in Michigan, what's happened in the Virginia, in Richmond, where people, you know, use guns to push their political and hateful ideology. They have, yesterday, they closed down, Michigan legislature closed rather than worrying about how to confront people. And, you know, this is, the, and one of the reasons I believe this is happening is because I can tell you where I live in Virginia and, and, and with the, with, for certain, we are getting a more diverse legislature. Our, we have the first female speaker of the house. We have more African-Americans. We have more people, LGBTQ um, folks in our legislature. And I will tell you that people who've had privilege for many, many years are uncomfortable with that. And they now want to come and close that down. And what I see there is, oh, I got to, when I was in charge, I had everybody else had to live by the rules. But now that other people are in charge, I don't want to live by the rules. Yeah. Right. And, and to me, so that's another piece of policy that I really want to see. I don't want guns at the Capitol. I don't want open carry in the Capitol. I don't want to have to confront that. I think that is a, and I've, Gail and I have both seen this. We'll be, a, we'll be, we've been there and people with guns are, you know, 
flashing them as trying to test we're trying to testify and they're they're not responsible like hill they're like hey look what i got you know and trying to show that they're more powerful than we are that is a terrible precedent and it's bad for our country it's bad for it's bad for what we want and we're fighting so hard for voting rights to you know to make sure people can vote and we know that people want to you know prevent prevent black and brown people from voting and yet we're allowing people to come to the capitals intimidate those very legislators that they elected that makes no sense to me that's got to stop kayla what you just described in terms of your personal experience and your decision uh to uh no longer open carry and all of that i mean that, that was very compelling and and very moving um but there is you know sort of a, a, a bipolarity in that as as human beings you know the, one's nature human nature is to protect oneself mm -hmm. and yet you know, Du Bois talked about in, in, in general, our double consciousness, our two mm -hmm. irreconcilable strivings. But if we were to boil that down to guns, it's as if your first instinct was very natural. I'm gonna carry this gun around. I'm Kayla, I'm carrying a gun. But then the other thing that, it, as you clearly pointed out, that we all go through that, that you conflicted with was, well, I don't really wanna carry a gun because I don't wanna do harm to anyone and I shouldn't have to. But both of those poles, to me, just still leave us in a place for the time being, unless Josh can, and we can work with Josh, to get the change in policy and legislation we need. We're just out here, you know? And, and that's, so even as compelling as your statement was, it, it's, it's, it's very sobering, it's, it's, a, it's a little scary too. You are a responsible gun owner. Mm -hmm. You you cannot carry a gun, not just because you don't want to, you don't feel it's right. You, your spirit's not going to allow you to do it anymore. But, and then the people looking at you like, that's the other thing. So if I'm in the car with you and they're looking at you and you have a gun, they'll just, they might shoot both of us just on GP. Right. Because, because you a woman carrying a gun and I'm in the car with you. We're not, we're just not, it's as if we're not supposed to defend ourselves. It's 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 very it's jarring. Yeah, uh, we you know, I, I like that we out here. That should be the next podcast. I really like that one. Show up on that one any day. But it's a harsh reality. Um, we we are looked at as gun users, not as responsible gun owners. So we will always um, make most very uncomfortable because when they're looking at me, it's almost like as if I don't have the, the right to have that gun. How dare I? Because you know, let's just get, you know get down to it. When it when you ask people about why they're why do you carry that gun? Because I had to protect myself from what? From somebody robbing or you know trying to harm my family? Like who? Well, you know, no, I actually don't because when I wake up in my house, I'm not thinking, well, let me arm myself up because there might be some white guys that are gonna actually come in here or might kill me or kill somebody that I love. And you know what? There's evidence that shows that that happens. And yet here I am as a woman of color, as many of us do, we don't go outside with that thought. However, the times have changed because there are many people waking up with that thought. They are not only, uh, you know, it's it, it it's humbling to um, to see that there is change. We we know that there are a lot of people working to address 
the issues that we have when it comes to gun violence in black communities and black people. It's very humbling because we, you know, I, I see there are a lot of people that are putting it all on the line, but it's not yeah. enough. It's yeah. not enough. And it's hard to say that sometimes because I've had conversations where there are white people that are really putting it all on the line. And it's like, they're not saying, well, just be lucky I'm here. They're literally saying, I, I cannot process why this is happening and I wanna help. I don't know what more I can do. And it's kind of like being a black person. Well, you're, you're just gonna have to keep doing it because yeah. there's no other option. We out here. I mean, I'm gonna live with, that's my net, my new hashtag, we out here. Like that's it. Awesome. Take it. It's yours. It's all yours. We out here. So, you know, <laughs> I, it, policy is very important. As Josh said, there's so much more that goes beyond that. You know, when I was watching the gentleman and I, I was looking for his name, I'm a retired bounty hunter and still a private detective. And I was looking, I'm trying to find the young man that was jogging down the street with the TV because that's very triggering for, for me and for others to watch a white man freely run down the street with a television that's trying to do something that's good, but ultimately it's just triggering because it's like, this guy is running with a TV. My kid could run down the street with a hoodie on and die just because of that. And that's, that's a real threat. His was just for show. It, like, even though he was running, there's, there's, he carries no burden beyond that. Right. So where, where do we go from there? We're out here, but, you know, I got some ideals, but the question is, is where do we go from here? And I think a lot of the responsibility goes back on uh, white people, because who are who put these laws on the books that we're talking about, these policies that we want to dismantle, the system we want to disrupt? Who did this? It's not us. Who has the power? We make up 13 percent of the population. How, how, what can we do? Josh armed with hate and, and and that's a very succinct and accurate arming hate is a very succinct and accurate way of putting it i think a part of that too isn't it josh the people who do this kind of stuff know with the you know being hateful being armed for hate and with you mentioned a power dynamic yeah they know they can do a lot of this and get away with it don't they that's right that's right and double standard, right? I mean, other, you know, it, it's it's people feel like they've got privilege and they had the privilege to walk up in the Capitol with an AR-15 and be greeted like, oh yeah, you're here, right? Um, that 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 is that just sh that shouldn't be allowed, and it needs to be called out for what it is, right? right? It's hate, it's racism, and it's a, and it's at the barrel of a gun. And going back to what Kayla says is, you know we've allowed that to happen and we've allowed that disparity and dichotomy to exist. Like, how come nothing happens to those folks? How come people who intimidate other people are like, please go away, right? Like, that's not, our response should be, you're disrupting this country. You're disrupting this legislature. That should be, that in my view should be prohibited. And you can tell that like law enforcement is, is deferential to that. And as a society, we need to, we need to, we need to, change that we need to show what it is which is armed hate from people who don't want to lose power and it's it's race it's gender right it's armed white men saying I, it's always been we've been in power and now we're going to say we're in power with the gun but going back again to what kayla said is you know what we need to do in this country is we need to show that we care we need to invest in communities right yeah. guns are one piece of this but if we cared right 
you know, if we cared about that, we'd invest in schools, we'd invest in employment opportunities, in community college, in housing, right? We, we, would, we would not at this moment be like, oh, maybe someone can get by on a $1,200 check, right? Like what we need to do as a country is show that, we're, that we care, that we need, you know, that we need to take on an anti-racism framework, which is we need to invest in our communities, we need to invest in our people, and at the same time, we need to decrease the easy availability of weapons, right? Those things all go together. Yeah. And we set them out there, out there because right now, you know, it's easy to feel like no one cares. And yeah. we're all in this alone. And, and that's, you know, those are choices that get made. They get made because it's better to give big corporations tax cut than get kids into community college, right? Yeah. That's a choice that we make. That leads to the root causes of inequality. That leads to people wanting to arm up. And we need all these things. These are not isolated things. You just don't say, oh, we can do something about guns without saying we need to go back and say, and for me, the buzzword these days is really important, is health disparities. We've created a, a country where the health of our most vulnerable citizens, right, we, we don't care. Like, it's expendable. It's expendable in COVID. It's expendable with guns. If we cared, if we wanted some people to feel like they weren't out there by themselves, they would feel our country coming around and saying, we care. We're going to invest in better health care in these communities, right? We're going to invest in violence interruption programs. We're going to invest in opportunities and jobs. But that's why you feel out there. And that's, to me, what we're talking about. I do guns. That's what I do. I do gun policy. But it's a symptom, right? It's a symptom of a larger thing that life is expendable in certain communities. And that's, that's unacceptable. Let me drill down on, on, on at least a point in that. And when you talk about education and investing in others, I mean, every other country in the world is paying everybody's salary and bills. We, don't Absolutely. We, we can't do that. So, <laughs> but we're also talking about those who are armed and hateful and dangerous. Access to education. See, because when you're educated, you know, and then Kayla, that's why, you know, we, we fought to integrate schools, fought mm -hmm. to integrate universities, affirmative action. Mm -hmm. But it's but people so that people could be and this is important. All this goes together, as Josh is saying. When people are in a learning environment together, the goal is, and and this happens more often than not, I guess, in an in a learning environment, people are also learning diversity in other cultures and learning about other people, and being willing to see them, and share space with them, and then tolerate them. You know, so so when I hear you say education, Josh, I, I, I'm assuming you mean everybody because that's that's the way I see it. Um, people who shoot black folk like that can't be educated. There's no way there can be any kind of education other than an education of pure white supremacy. You know, uh, you know, uh, going to KKK university. A am I right? I mean, when you talk about education, we're talking about education universally. So the people understand it's not right to continue legacies of racism. Right. And, you know, Kill and I, we work together a number, a lot, but one of the things that we think we found to be important is education means being together. It yeah. means simple things like this. It means like breaking bread together. Right? Yeah, yeah, all together. Right. Right, and, and if you're not willing to do that, if you look at someone like they're the other and you're not willing to do that, you'll never be educated. Yeah, yeah. Right? And it wasn't, it, you know, in my life, it wasn't, you know, w breaking bread, sharing experiences, um, 
you know, the, that's what makes that, that's in addition to your ability to read and write, that's what makes you educated. But as a country, what I'm getting is we don't encourage that. Yeah. You know, we don't, yeah. we don't encourage that at all. And, you know, and especially the man at the top doesn't dis- encourage it. He right. likes it. And, and dismantling things like affirmative action and things right. like that, right? That just makes it more, less, less, less and less diverse, right? Yeah. And people can stay in their little pods. You know, that's not healthy. That's not educated. That's not knowing people, right? We don't, you know, nothing. We don't encourage travel. Now, we can't travel today. But this is a country where, like, people are, like, proud of the fact, oh, I've never been out of my county. I've never been out of my state. Forget about going to Europe or Africa or Haiti or, you know, I remember being as a kid, went to Haiti when I was five years old. It was transformative. You know, it was one of those experiences that was transformative. Uh, my parents took me there. And yeah. that, it, it travel matters. And we don't encourage right. it. We don't support it. All these different things, you know? You've been exposed. You've had exposure to a larger worldview. Kayla, you said trauma fatigue. Uh, let's try this on for a minute because this has been going through my mind as well. We've had so much gun violence. I mean, gun violence and gun deaths in this country were like the the virus before this virus. Mm -hmm. Okay. And let's be honest, what happened? People got a level of fatigue and numbness and anesthetization from that experience, you know? things would happen and then we always this is it this is going to make everything change and then it it would just be numbed mm-hmm. um the end result of all that numbness i mean that numbness happens uh subsequent to death so it almost it, it almost is is a logical flow that some are numb to the deaths that this virus is calling because they've already had a dress rehearsal from being numbed to gun violence. Death is death is death, isn't it? Yes, the short answer is yes. We went from, we combined um, an epidemic with a pandemic and there was not enough education for people to understand that when we started seeing, you know, people say shut down and stay in, uh, no, there was no open education for uh, black and brown communities to understand how to live, you know, in close quarters, especially where you're talking about populations of poverty, um, you know, how to survive and how to be safe in that, in that environment. But more importantly, the world outside of black and brown faces began to believe that, oh, well, you know, nobody's going to kill each other or shoot each other because it's a pandemic. They really believe that a pandemic equaled trauma-informed care. Like for some reason, it was a trauma fairy that came along, sprinkled some dust and said, nobody's traumatized. Now pay attention to the pandemic and stay home because it could kill you. And then it came out weeks later after, you know, social media had circulated that black people can't get COVID, right? Black people don't get it, right? That was out there for a long time. And because there's no uh, trust um, with media and and relationships outside of our communities, you know, the the most important connection to the Black community is that mama, that big mama, that woman, that one. There's that one woman that everybody is going to listen to and be like, yeah, she's looking out for us. And because she said it, that nobody went out and talked to us and gave us what we needed. And I just feel like, you know, it's 
it's not a wake up call. Like this is not a wake up call. This is just another level of uh, numbness. And now you're going to combine this numbness with, so we have this shooting, right? We have so many of them. I, I try not to name individual people um, because there's so many people that are not going to ever be named that collectively, I think when I say the African-American uh, males and females that are being uh, injured and, and, and murdered by uh, the use of force with firearm, um, is so normal that now I was sitting with a you know a, a, a friend yesterday I was just moving something, um, and he had to get you know, he's a law enforcement had to get COVID tested and you know thank God he came back um, negative and we were talking about his experiences but more importantly he's got a phone call from his mother it said dinner was uh, he was she was cooking dinner for him to come by, and. Um, she said, you know, you know, I need you to come on over. And he said, okay, mom, I'm going to come for dinner. But I said, well, what, what does your mom cook for dinner? And he said, she's got some pig feet, some, some pig ears, and got some chitlins in the pot. And I was just like, oh, Lord. I said, well, you know, as a black man, you shouldn't eat that. And he stopped and looked at me in all seriousness. Mm -hmm. And I said, because you know that's going to kill you. He said, nothing's safe for black people so why does it matter what i eat if it's going to kill me and that was a harsh reality because i had to stop and say you know what i can no longer joke around or even tell people for health purposes don't eat that because it's like why not somebody gonna kill me anyway it's like there are so many levels of numbness and acceptance of this violence and behavior that it's going to take a village and and the reality of the statement of it's going to take a village and putting those wagons in a circle it's like back in the wild wild west you know the cowboys with those wagons in a circle to protect the you know right. listen it's going to take a collective effort and we're all, we're all not going to look alike we yeah. have to everybody has to come to the table i need for you know uh, the white population to challenge themselves like you know they did the i was talking to some a friend a couple days ago about the bucket challenge where they put ice over their head or something it was a long time ago like do something for a cause so if you're, if you're gonna run you know then what are you going to do next do challenges where you're sitting at home with your most racist uncle or aunt or, or, or granny or you know have these conversations what are you afraid of like and then come back and talk to us as communities so we can start figuring out because the numbness is real and when someone like myself has to admit that even i have become somewhat numb that should be a really that should be really scary for, for society in itself when you have woke people that are literally woke um, with education experience um, say that they're numb. That should cause pause for a lot of people. I wonder, you know, Mark, as you as a black male, are you numb to it? Do, do you find yourself being numb? I'd be, so I would be dishonest um, intellectually dishonest to say that I'm not numb, but even my context is larger. You know, I, I was a, a, a student uh, and a follower of Dr. Francis Press Weldon. And she used to talk about gun violence in the black community and how there were always things for us to protest and, and stop. And she was talking about gun violence in the black community before a lot of our gun advocacy organizations were. I mean, we're talking about, you know, 40, 50 years ago. Right. And she challenged all of us as a black community, said, how can you care more about anything else but that? 
And it happened so often in our community, we became, we became numb to it. It just was a reality. It just, just happened. Um, and, you know, to me, numbness is, is defined by inaction. So we ain't doing anything about Columbine. We ain't doing anything about Sandy Hook. We ain't do, you know, all these situations. So while we can mourn, and we really can't mourn right now because this is not even a situation you can mourn. Mourning is clo- hugging and touching and embrace. We can't do any of that right now. So that's going to be an ongoing trauma and closure unresolved. But as long as we don't do anything, we may as well all be numb. And I've seen people who are passionate about what happened to Ahmad and Brianna and, and, and Deshaun Reed in Indianapolis. Uh, I've heard from white folks who I've not heard from in years who were literally traumatized by that video. But still to me, the numbness is in the inactions. At some point, this culture has to decide enough of this. Other cultures are living around the world, functioning. As you said earlier, Josh, paying folks bills and putting folks guns away and folks not shooting each other. Shooting each other. So what is it about this space here that we're in that prevents that? And, but I thank you for asking me that. Uh, um, but Josh, let me ask you this, and then I want to go to action and plans and what we want people to leave here with assignments to do. But first, Josh, I need you to help me reconcile something, too. Yeah. They bought up all these guns in, with Obama because he was coming to get their guns. Right. Trump's not coming to get their guns. Yeah. So what's the deal with all the guns now? They, they think Obama's coming back to get them? I, I, help me. Because yeah. <laughs> we know gun sales have gone up right. in the, the so, pandemic. Right. So what happened, fascinatingly, in the first couple of years of the Trump administration, gun sales were considerably down from the Obama levels. Um, and it, it wasn't until this, in, until, um, you know, it, it, it wasn't until the Democrats took control of the House. Mm-hmm. Gun sales started to rise. That's two years after Trump was elected, mm-hmm. and now with this, right? And so it's it's interesting. I mean, there's a, a real a political response and a fear response. And I think those are those are somewhat related, um, but it's also you know it's an encourage it's encouraged right by the gun industry now who's had who who've had a couple of years of low sales during the Trump administration. They want this to happen. They make it easy to happen. They don't feel much responsibility. They don't. They feel responsibility to sell weapons and increase their bottom, their bottom line. Um, but there seems to be a response in this country now where if there's a president we don't like, we're going to buy guns. If something happens, we're going to go buy guns. Um, and it seems to be a response to like, you know, a lot of different, a lot of different issues. And yeah. what we're going to see down the road because of this, and this is just, this is fact. This is you know, a public health fact, more death. Mm-hmm. That's what we're going to see. Is if current levels of death aren't enough, we're going to see more. Uh, we're yeah. going to see more homicide and more suicide. Um, right. Yes, more deaths in the home. And I will say, you know, what we are seeing now is something unusual. That is, in the African American community, gun suicide was very uncommon. It's now on the rise, um, and it's something that we do not want to ignore, and we don't want to get numb to that either. Right. It's unusual. We need to call it unusual and understand what's going on. No, and I want to commend. You, I meant to commend you for that too, because that's that's the lead article, the lead link, uh, at csgv.org, folks. Coalition to Stop Gun Violence, and you can imagine that. See, that was the other thing, you know, Caitlin. When you talk about having a gun, so that's the other thing that's risky because I'm too aware, you know, having worked with Josh and others over the years, the risk of of guns in the home, and what happens in particularly stressful situations like this, 
and how many people end up turning those guns on each other. So you either got crazy Trump, Trump folk shooting people, or you got other folk at home despairing, depressed, and taking their own lives because, you know, $1,200 don't pay for nothing. Okay, um, uh, Josh, action plans, assignments, and then Kayla, I wanna hear something from you. T talk to us about people listening. What can they get involved in? What can they do right now? So a couple of things I think, I think you should do right now. One is don't, when you, when you see what's going on in, in the legislature, when you see what's going on uh, with Ahmaud Arbery, you gotta realize there's a root of racism and armed hate that are coming together. And there's attitudes that we need to change, but actions are gonna speak larger than words here, right? And so we need, in my view, we need a two, two parts of this equation. One is what I work on every day, which is I wanna get rid of open carry. I wanna make it harder to carry concealed weapons. I wanna ban guns in every single capital in this country. I've been personally know what happens when you're walking down the hall or trying to testify and someone flashes a gun at you. It's not democracy, okay? That's number one. From a bigger picture though, we've gotta, we've gotta change the investment dynamic in this country and we've gotta invest in communities for better health, mental health care, better primary health care, better opportunities for education. And so what, what does that mean? It means getting out there and voting. These, this, this started, this election is like no other. This is, this is an election that, that, that where, you know, wherever you come from will be the most important election potentially of our, certainly of our lives, but could be of ever, right? So we've got to get out there and vote. We've got to commit to show up when, not, when you know, a lot of times people want to phone in to the state legislatures or just write a postcard. you got to show up too. If there are people that are armed showing up, you got to show up. Something we've done in Virginia, Kale and I worked on together with some of our colleagues is showing up when it matters. When votes are being taken, when it matters. And, you know, for everybody to do that. And it really does change things, right? Um, breaking down, breaking down bar barriers to voting. Um, but really, it, it takes two things, at least two things, and, it's, and it, it is better gun policy, which I've laid out, and, and putting, you know, if you care about stopping these shootings, if you care about, and if you want to stop being numb, you got to act like you're not numb, which means saying, time to invest, time to put our resources in, in these communities. I'm like, I don't know that I can stop someone's hatred in their heart. But I know that we can change and act like a society that cares, that matters, that doesn't value the values, um, that, that devalues racism. And doing that is putting our budget where it matters and putting our gun policy where it matters. You can find all about a lot of that at our website. Um, but I, and, and the other thing that's really important for everybody who lives in a state that has a great state gun violence prevention group or violence interrupter program, get involved. It's time. Yeah, get involved. Kayla, what would you add in terms of what you'd like to see people do, take on, be assigned? I would like to add um, the actions that people can do to assist in reducing death and injury by firearm um, is to first make sure that they're being inclusive to the communities that are directly impacted. And when we say that we are um, engaging impacted communities, 
do the work and, 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 you know, start with what we have as our pack, you know, policy, identify a piece of policy that we're going to work on, work on and rally around. And if we don't have policy that we like, then draft it and, you know, have someone help you understand what that means. And, and, and advocacy is key. Like we know that goes back to, you know, for everything that we have today here and now is because of grassroots advocacy. So find out who's supporting what and how they're supporting and, and, and get involved. And then community. Community is the heart of everything. It's the relationships that matter. I know I'm going to speak myself as a Black person. I can see somebody come in 10,000 miles away if they're not right. If they're coming to me saying, oh, I need you to help me, I can tell they just want me to help them get a picture with Black people to say, look, we're working with Black communities, or if they really want to come in. I don't have time for it. I'm not the one. I've never been that kind of person. So it's like you want to make sure, you know, keep it real. You want to be woke, then be real woke and do the work. And the technical assistance, having organizations like the Ed Fund and the Coalition to be there with you, making sure that that policy is not just drafted, but it gets implemented. And, you you know, we are forced as Black people to run marathons that we never prepared for, that we don't want to run, and we never set out to do. It's not, it was never my life's goal to get up and run a marathon for the rest of my life. I'm tired, but every time I decide I want to slow up, something like this happens. Someone's child is dead. Someone's spouse is gone. Or there's this relationship where people don't understand the value of making sure that the budget and the money follow the money, no matter where you go and what you do. I don't care who's talking to you, even it's me. Who's investing in what? Follow the money and you'll know where the heart of that organization or that person is because we need to make sure that wraparound services that are underfunded are funded. These are the services that we need to survive in our communities. It's just like saying, pull up your bootstraps. When people say that, well, you know, that's that old saying, pull up your, if you have no boots, what are you going to pull up then? Your toes? How far can you pull a toe? Not yeah. very far, right? So we're looking at making sure that we're investing in the communities, making sure that the funding is there, and just having the education to, to whatever a person's doing, make a pact, policy, advocacy, community, and technical assistance to make sure that they have the right team there supporting them with that evidence-based research, have a holistic approach, and just make sure that you're authentic in your movement and your work because I am always watching and we've got the Ed Fund and so many other people that are watching now because it's a new day and a new way of doing things. We're doing stuff online now, but eventually we're going to have to get back in the world. And when we get out there, what are we going to be prepared to do? That's right. That's right. Um, appreciate you both. Folks, we ask you to go to csgv.org, get involved. Uh, don't be numb in terms of, of action, uh, treat the numbness with action, treat the despair, the anger, the trauma, the emotion, the passion with action. Go to csgv.org, one of my favorite organizations. Josh, as always, uh, appreciate your vigilance, my brother. Thank you for having me. Thank Keep you. that up and, and let's stay in closer touch. Kayla Hicks, uh, Director of African American Outreach. She out here, y'all. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, and, and we're glad of that and we need her. Um, so uh, we need to be out here too. We out here anyway, whether we want to admit it or not. Um, thank you, Kayla Hicks and Josh Horowitz. Again, folks, csgv.org. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mark. All right. Thank you. God, you are our refuge. 
Send our ancestors to guard our doors. Cast out this virus from our communities and our bodies. Heal, bless, and protect everyone listening and their loved ones. Thank you for listening to Make It Plain and Get Woke. Remember to listen, like, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. If all minds are clear, it has been Made Plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.